invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of uh, Mark, chapter 12. We'll be walking through the passage that was just read for us. Uh, This season of Lent, we're continuing to share in the week of Jesus' passion by following Mark's very punchy telling of this week. And though for Jesus these are dark days that they mark his descent into death and to the grave, uh, they also mark his uh, ascension. Step by step, Jesus is ascending first to the cross and then to the throne as King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, the words that we have right before our passage in Mark 12 have the words of Psalm 110 on the lips of Jesus, where he's singing one of a psalm about a greater one greater than King David, who will ascend the throne. The, the, the words are, the Lord God said to my, that is David's Lord, God said to David's Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David is singing about one greater than him, and Jesus puts those words on his lips, a confession that Jesus is a true and better King David, that he is indeed David's offspring or son but also David's Lord. And as that passage is talking about this greater David, Jesus is preparing the way for his enthronement. The Father is enthroning his Son. And in so doing, he's putting all of God's enemies under the feet of his anointed and blessed Son. So today in our passage here, Jesus is waging war against religious scholars who are abusing, who are exploiting poor and weak in order for selfish gain. King Jesus, well, his judgment is swift and it is sure, and today we are warned to flee the wrath that is to come and hide ourselves in Jesus. So to that end, I invite you to pray with me at this time. Would you pray? Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your word, which is living and active, and we ask your blessing upon us now, that in the hearing of your word, we might be conformed into the image of your dear Son. Lead us in the way of life everlasting. Through Jesus Christ, we pray all of these things. Amen. It's a fairly short passage we're looking at, but there's kind of two sermons in here. Um, But I'm just going to give you one, okay? I'm not going to give you two sermons, so don't worry about that. Um, But there is something in here about the cost of following Jesus, right? The cost of discipleship, uh, the giving of all to, to follow him. So that would be one sermon all by itself. Um, The second one might be looking at the curse of sin or the curse of exploitation in particular. That is uh, the sin of consuming everything around us in order to build up our own kingdom. So one sermon, I'm going to squeeze them together into into this one time here. So let's look first at the cost of discipleship. What does it cost to follow Jesus in verse, verse 41 of Mark chapter 12? He, Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and watch the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. That's the, the smallest unit of, of money that they have is what she was putting in twofold. There's here a form of religion in bringing offerings or tribute to the Lord. Um, if you think back to the Old Testament, there was the tribe of Levi, which mostly comprised the, the priesthood here. And They weren't given possession of the land. They were dependent on the offering of God's people to support their daily sustenance. Um, 
as we find Jesus in the temple court here, he's seated offering, a, seated opposite a, a series of, of offering boxes. And as uh, tradition holds, the faithful Israelites would bring money and other items that would be used to support the work of the temple and support the temple servants as well. Now, tradition holds that these offerings were inspected for any kind of forgery, and then often they would be accompanied by a public pronouncement of the amount of what was given. Wouldn't that be fun? This is a form of religion that they are seeking to obey in faithfulness to their God. Now, at our church, we seek to follow a biblical pattern in offering every Sunday. And that offering represents our lives, our livelihood that we are giving back unto God's service. Of a, we, we recommend that 10% is given uh, for anybody who's following Jesus in a healthy pattern and that any gifts above that 10% can be given to the church or other ministries, local and abroad. Now, we won't uh, announce your giving publicly here. We won't go to that extent. But it is a pattern that, that we follow biblically. Now, in this passage here, there's a contrast being afforded here. There are those who gave a lot, and then you've got this widow who gave about as little as you could. Both are obeying God's command. Both are giving themselves to God in their form of religion, but something seems to be amiss here. There's a form of religion without power, verse 43. And Jesus called His disciples to Him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the, to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Other gospel writers in this, with this account point out that Jesus is really, really angry when he sees that. Now, Mark doesn't bring that out as much, but there's anger in Jesus' heart as he sees what's going on here. The, the reality is like divine accounting, it doesn't always match or doesn't make sense in our minds. That's because Jesus tends to account the heart more than external ritual or form, as important as that is. Now, many here are giving and they're obeying the form of religion, but they lack power because they neglect the weightier matters of the law. Jesus this week of the Passion Week, he's time and again saying, you're, way, you're, you're neglecting the weightier matters of the law. You're neglecting love. You're neglecting mercy. You're neglecting justice. This woman gave everything. Why does she have no care? Why do you who gladly receive her last two pennies not shepherd her? Many gave out of their abundance, which is not a bad thing at all. But neither is the amount as important as the heart condition. When Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. That's at work here in the person of the poor widow. That command takes shape in this widow. And Jesus commends her in her sacrifice. She gave all. If you think about the disciples Peter, of course, with the others, will soon say that he has already sacrificed everything to follow Jesus. And in fact, that going forward, if Jesus is going to suffer and die, well, well, Peter will go with him all the way to death, and then all the other disciples come around, yeah, us too, us too. And then we see that, yeah, indeed, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And that's the life of following Jesus, the, the cost of discipleship, this willingness to give everything to God. 
in service to his king and to his kingdom, knowing that, like Peter and the others, we're probably going to fail. But there's something here with this widow. There's something in Peter's confession that inspires and it encourages perseverance that when we fall, we get back up and we give again. We fall, we get back up and we give again. This passage here that we've been studying is often read as an exhortation to count the cost of following Jesus. Are we willing to give everything into His hands, our very lives, which are not our own, but are bought with a price to give all into the hands of God as we follow His Son, Jesus Christ? And man, that looks really strange to a watching world. However, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our epistle passage says that, that, that Jesus, though He was rich, He became poor, so that through his poverty, we might become rich. The cost of following Jesus is to give everything that we are, everything that we have, everything we do as that belongs to him. We, his servants, are to give freely of our lives entirely. Sermon 1, done. Not bad, huh? Not bad. There's something else amiss, though. It's not just a call to give everything in discipleship here. There's something wrong here. I mean, look at the, the, how Jesus begins this passage, verse 38. And in his teaching, he said, beware, beware of the scribes. There seems to be a cancer that has invaded a religious body here, a, a disease that has infected religious leaders, and this, there's a contagion that is, is highly infectious. So Jesus has to, to warn them and say, beware, you see these scribes over here, watch out. Their sickness is easily caught. And so from the cost of discipleship, what it is to follow him, of Jesus, we now turn to the curse of sin or the, the curse of exploitation here. 38 again reads this way, Jesus taught, or, uh, uh, and the, Jesus' teaching said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes, like greetings in the marketplaces, have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. The cancer that Jesus warns of here is the sin of exploitation. These religious leaders are exhibiting a, a false piety that actually masks their sin, where they abuse and they oppress the poor, the weak, and the needy. They use and abuse God's people for their own aims, to build and establish their own kingdoms in the name of service unto God. There's religious exercises participated in. There's personal devotion, but it's used as a form of power in order to abuse weak and poor, to build capital for one's own kingdom. Jesus says they devour widows' houses, and the next scene we have is a poor widow who's being devoured by those who were called to shepherd her. Beware, not only in that day when Jesus is at the temple there, but in our day as well. Exploitation is a cancer that consumes not only those who are hurt by it, by those who are perpetrating it as well, consuming life and health. Now, Jesus in his words can often bring pain to us, and pain is a very diag a powerful diagnostic tool. Nobody enjoys a harsh rebuke or a pointed correction, but this beware 
of Jesus here. It's, 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 it's a word from Jesus intended to foster health. This beware is a, a rebuke against the shepherds of God's people. And even if the scribes here ignore Jesus' warning, as if they, they don't really bother with the hot stove top, the followers of Jesus are warned not to touch that hot burner of sin and exploitation. The examples that Jesus give of ordained servants of God, they go around in, in robes which were given to mark them off as household servants in God's house. It would be comparable to a mechanic's greasy and worn overalls, a nurse's scrubs, perhaps an officer's uniform. These scribal robes were given to tell, identify right away, these men are set aside to serve God's house. But you know how that happens, right? These robes then become a cloth of social status. Uh, to glimpse a person walking in that robe would, would inspire us to stand in, in, in respect, and they would gladly take on that awe and that honor and that respect, consuming it one after another as we rise to honor God's servant. Now, they attached tassels to those robes, didn't they? And those tassels are a reminder of God's Word, that ministry to and on His behalf flows from His Word, that our lives are to be conformed to that Word. And you know how that goes, the longer the tassel, the more devout the follower, the more devout the servant. So if you have a, a really regal robe with long tassels and you walk into the marketplace, people are going to stand up and they're going to move aside and say, please sit here in this place of honor. And if you're like me, you love that. That feels good. Even if it's at the cost of using and abusing God's varied grace. Over time, these tassels would grow longer. The robes would grow more ornate. The forms of religion that were intended to humble and inspire fidelity are used to consume people's awe, admiration, affection, robbing God of His glory and others of His grace. This charge of exploitation Jesus levels against the shepherds of God's people. In the name of God and service to His house, a poor widow is giving her last penny while her household servants of the temple are fitted with regal robes, gold jewelry, and the respect of all. See, the piety of these scribes masked the greed of selfish gain. But Jesus comes to turn all of that on its head. When he teaches that when you fast, present yourself whole. Put oil on your head. Don't let people know that you're fasting. When you give, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. When you pray, go into your closet. But contrary to that teaching, Jesus says for a pretense, these scribes are making long prayers. Throughout Mark's gospel, Jesus condemns religious leaders like the scribes here because they're following in the footsteps of their forefathers who were also well-versed in the sin of exploitation. It's not a new sin. And as always, it is worthy of contempt and condemnation. In the name of serving God's kingdom, they seek to establish their own kingdom made in their own image to rule others as they see fit. Zechariah, Ezekiel 34, God warns the religious leaders. He says, you're my shepherds, but look, you're getting fat. But you're getting fat on the property 
of your own people. I, God, have given you, commissioned you to shepherd my people. But what? You've not strengthened the weak. You've not healed the sick. Those who are injured, you've not bound up. So instead, I will, sh- I will serve and shepherd my sheep, says God the Father. He says, I will starve the shepherds, and I will come and shepherd my sheep. Exploit, abuse in the name of God brings his curse. Ezekiel, Zechariah, and now Jesus is revealing the curse of sin, it's particularly the sin of exploitation. And what does that curse look like? Well, in, in Ezekiel's example there, the, the shepherds will be destroyed and the sheep will be saved. And here we have, well, there's, there's destruction that's coming, and that destruction is coming to the house of God, which is the temple. Because those who are seeking to serve God's kingdom are building a house, not for God's name, but for their own. And there is no foundation of our own name that can stand the glory of God. In our passage, Jesus is bringing a, a charge against the scribes who are the servants of God's house, and they're charging greed, abuse, and exploitation. And evidence is given at the temple court where a poor widow's very last hope of sustenance is greedily consumed in pomp and circumstance of religious leaders. So what's the result of this? Verse 13 and following, as they come out, if you want to follow there, 13 verse 1, as he came out of the temple, one of the disciples said, look, teacher, what wonderful stones, what wonderful buildings. Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. We've talked before about Mark. He, he likes to put passages in sandwiches. The, the meat of the sandwich is the testimony that, that this widow is being abused and neglected. And the two slices of bread are that the, the scribes and the religious leaders are going to be torn down. And on the other sandwich, the other, the other piece of bread is that the temple will be torn down. What Mark is doing here is he's showing us that as it's going for the scribes, so it's going for the temple. As it's going for the temple, it will go with the scribes. The curse of sinning against God is that the foundation of your house will be destroyed. The foundations of God's house, the temple, will crumble as Jesus promises in this very next section. The promise from Ezekiel and Zechariah is that God himself would destroy his shepherds to come and shepherd his people himself. And that's what he does. He sends himself, he says, son, in the flesh, who is the good shepherd. And that shepherd, that good shepherd is now ascending to the cross in order to ascend his throne. And as he's taking his place, his rightful place, he's warning that judgment is coming. Judgment against God's enemies is coming. Jesus says they, the, the scribes, will receive a greater condemnation. And, and James later on will warn the same thing. He says, not many of you should become teachers. We who teach will be judged with greater strictness. It, it echoes Jesus' warning here. To whom much is given, much will be required or expected. But the, the scribes have a cancer that's consuming them. And then it's consuming those around them. And we who follow Jesus are being warned... Do not follow the way of these scribes. This charge of exploitation is not something foreign to us as a people. If you listen even a little bit to the cries of our society for justice, it seems at heart what what people are wanting to cut out are the abuses and the exploitation that is woven into the very fabric of our being, let alone of our society. 
there's complex issues of, of racism, of, of, of gender equality, of, of sexual abuse scandals. And it seems if you look at the roots of those, for the, for the, those plants, right, the roots is that for the, 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 those who use and abuse, there's, there's a willingness in all of those things to use, to neglect, to abuse other people, to build a kingdom in the image of the strong. And here's the thing, that's what Jesus identifies as a cancer in the scribes. And the reality is that cancer is uh, lying dormant at the very best in all of us. And to simply yell at people to stop this bad behavior doesn't seem to work, does it? I mean, Jesus time and again is condemning the use and abuse of God's people and the way that the religious leaders are exploiting God's people. He warns his followers to reject that way. But he does more than to scream out, stop it. He does this. He breaks the cycle of abuse by taking the abuse of the wicked on himself. See, Jesus had all authority and power to demolish his enemies right then and there. All power and authority to build up his kingdom by power. And yet he does not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But his way is to make himself nothing. His way is to take on the form of a servant, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death, on the cross. And Jesus, in this passage, is angry because the poor widow who's needing care, who needs shepherding, who needs shelter and food, well, her very life was greedily being consumed in the name of building God's house. And so Jesus warns us today against forms of religion that seek to use God for our own aims, that manipulate and abuse God's people to further our own purposes and kingdom. For our kingdoms cannot stand on the foundation of greed and deceit, but only on the self-sacrificing love of Jesus Christ. We are called in this passage to give our very lives to the true Son of David, the true and greater King David, who gave himself for us. Now, our hearts are prone to sin the same way that the scribes were. But see, that sin doesn't have the strongest hold on us, but Jesus and his grace have a firmer hold, a firmer grip. See, the poor widow is seen by Jesus in her poverty, And He promises to care for her. He promises to shepherd her so that we too, we come to Jesus in our poverty, seeking ever and only to be used for His glory and for the good of others. And in His grace, we can be assured that He will never let us go, that He will never leave us nor forsake us. For it is out of His poverty that we become rich in the work the presence, the love, and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your grace poured out upon us through your Son, Jesus Christ. In his humility, he became poor that we might become rich. Even as we take in his word, would you make us more and more into the image of your dear Son, that we might give ourselves for the good of others that we too might become poor, that others might partake in the richness of Jesus' grace, mercy, and his love. 
It's in the name of Christ we pray all of these things. Amen.